0: Coming up on the Scott Thompson Show podcast, how are we preparing for the third wave? Vaccine passports, are they the future? And will we see the U.S.-Canadian border open by July? It's all coming up. Today on the Scott Thompson Show on 900 CHML.
1: I'm Curtis Thompson, Scott's son. It was one year ago today. My dad did his last show from the CHML studios. He has been home ever since. When he gets off of the couch, the cushions still look like him. What? It's the Scott Thompson Home Show. Here's Scott Thompson.
0: Yeah. Party like it's 1999. Remember that? I know it was a long time ago. it was in the last millennium. The good old days. Uh, good afternoon. It is 1212. It is 900 CHML. I'm Scott Thompson. Will Erkin back at the station, keeping the Scott Thompson home show on the air. Uh, one year ago today, as the boy said, I did my very last show in the studios of CHML and have been in uh, my house ever since. And uh, it's kind of um, it's a weird, weird feeling. And, and, you know, you're experiencing it, too, as we hear more and more uh, acknowledgement of this being the one year that this was declared a global pandemic. So, yeah. oh, no. oh, my goodness. I don't think we... Uh, so, it, it, you know, all right. Uh, well, we're trying to make it as festive as we can. So, anyway, it was a year ago that we... We're, we it all of a sudden it, it was a, a a blast of realization, and and the World Health Organization declared this a, a COVID nineteen global pandemic, and 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 everybody immediately the world changed. Everybody was told to go home, and uh, and and here we are one year later. It is it is hard to believe that. Uh, <laughs> it's hard to believe that's where we are although we do say that that at the end of the month oh it's hard to believe the month is over uh but this where one day seems to bleed into another is uh is really a significant uh, milestone but the good news is there are uh vaccines on the way and um, there is light at the end of the tunnel all right we got a big show planned for you feel free to jump into it uh let's bring in robert burgess senior director of emergency preparedness with sunnybrook health sciences uh he is with us now robert thanks for the time i hope Hope you're doing well. I am. Thanks for having me, Scott. Hope you're doing well as well, Robert. What are your thoughts? Uh, first off, before we get into any detail. What are your thoughts after one year of this? Uh, it, it is a time when all of us are, are seeming to pause and, and look back, and certainly remember those that have lost their lives and the tragedy in, in all of this. But what are your thoughts about, about where we are one year later?
2: Well, it's you know it's probably a few things, but I, I think to your point that you know, the, the the overarching feeling I have is you know some sort of sadness around uh, um, how this has affected families and and you uh, know lives um, and we you know obviously can't forget that I also reflect on how much of a toll this has taken on our health care teams uh, who have been working you know non-stop over the last year uh, to uh, to save lives and and help uh, help patients and you know, a remarkable group of people right across our uh, our province and the country so um, and you know and and yes yeah, changed the way we work it's uh it has uh, impacted the way we the way we move each day uh but i think we just have to keep uh keep working hard and do the things that are that are uh you know helping that uh, come from public health in terms of advice and we'll get through this
0: uh obviously you know uh, to be optimistic here there is light at the end of the tunnel vaccines are on the way uh and soon hopefully we'll be uh we'll be seeing large mass uh, vaccination uh sites and such but you know amongst all of that uh robert is also the threat of a third wave we see field hospital a field hospital being constructed in toronto there's plans for one in hamilton uh if needed uh, this is a very stark reminder where we are and, and where we are not yet. What are your thoughts on the variants and the third wave, and amongst all of this optimism, as the variants try to to race the vaccine?
2: Yeah, and it's uh, you know to your point, Scott. I mean, it's an example of all of the things we need to keep in mind as we continue to plan and prepare. And you know, the, the axiom around emergency preparedness is you know plan uh, for the worst and hope for the best. And 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 we've been working uh, in terms of preparedness activities over the last year. And even when things begin to you know to improve, uh, we still have we still have work to do on the response side, but then there's the recovery phases that will begin as well for um, you know for the system and uh, so we can't let our guard down. We need to continue to plan and and create uh you know more tools for the toolkit as we uh, as we continue through this journey. What have we learned in the last year, Robert um I think, you know, from, from the, there's going to be a lot of reflection, obviously, from all of the, you know, the, the healthcare systems and processes. But I, I must say, on a, on a positive note, what I have learned over the last year, um, I've had the great opportunity, uh, I'm very humbled by the opportunities I've had to sit with our healthcare leaders um, uh, who are incredible people and are able to synthesize information and make very tough decisions. Uh, that are you know that are right for our our teams and and for the you know for our, our citizens in the province. So I just uh, you know as I think about it, I just um, just amazed by the uh, you know the expertise and the group of people that uh, are working on this and again very humbled by the by the opportunity to work with them
0: uh obviously as vaccination rolls in there's more and more chatter of of you know coming out the other side uh we've heard this morning uh new york state uh pressuring the president to try to get the border the u.s canada border open by uh july 4th do you see that happening is that realistic
2: Well, yeah that's probably out of the scope for me uh in terms of uh you know, that those issues, I think, again, we can look at it as even the discussion, having the, those kinds of discussions suggest to me that, uh, you know, we're, we're moving in the right direction as far as conversations go, whether it happens or not is uh, certainly uh, something I'll be interested to see like everybody else.
0: Uh, We are hearing today uh, Sudbury uh, moving into a lockdown uh, position. Um, I remember it seemed that uh, uh, this disease was pretty much around the more populated, densely populated areas uh, around uh, uh, the greater Toronto-Hamilton area and such. Now we're seeing uh, lockdowns in, in places in the north and such. How concerned are you about that?
2: Well, I think it just serves as a reminder that, uh, you know, no no particular area is immune to this. Um, and everyone has to you know keep their guard up and do the right things, uh, wearing masks and keeping your hands clean, etc. You know, it doesn't, the, the virus doesn't know borders. And uh, um, just to, again, you know, another, yet another reminder as we start to, as people start to feel like we're moving through this, um, that these things will crop up from time to time and we need to be prepared to deal with it.
0: Are you concerned that uh, as as we see more and more uh opening up that people will uh drop their guard? Uh we remember after the first between the first and second wave people got a little too uh relaxed over the summer. Have we learned that lesson um, it, or, or do you think with fatigue and where we are 1 year later uh that are you how concerned are you that people will see vaccines coming in what's going on in the United States? And that, uh, and we'll drop the guard a bit.
2: Yeah, I think it's always a concern, Scott. And and you know, a, a very uh, one of my colleagues uh, noted with me that uh, you know this sort of reminds him of a of, of a marathon. You know, and it's, and those who have done marathons know there's that sort of wall that you hit at some point, yeah. um, and, and and can really you know really impact your ability to maintain uh, our guard. But, you know, he also was optimistic in saying, hey, but, you know, marathon's end. There is a, there is a finish line. And we, uh, I think we just need to stick to this for uh, whatever period of time we need to get through it, and uh, we'll come out the other side
0: um how concerned are you when we come out the other side we're seeing uh the european union uh call for uh, vaccination passports uh, uh, of some sort uh obviously the center for disease control in the united states has issued uh, guidelines for reopening up how do we keep ourselves safe as we go through this gray area of vaccination
2: well, and so that was to the point I was making earlier is, um, you know, you, you, you can't turn things on and off um, in terms of response and recovery. And what you're describing, Scott, is a good example of that recovery phase. I mean, it's, it's understanding where all of these things will, will lie as uh, as we start to work our way through this, um, and uh, but need to keep our guard up as we begin to recover. Um, and if we do that well, there'll be less of a chance of, uh, you know, going backwards
0: many Canadians are asking when they can get out when they're going to see uh, the same sort of progress and openings that we're seeing uh, in the United States uh, but at the end of the day until we see mass uh, injection sites like at arenas or or convention centers or such um, we're pretty much just staying even are we not we're pretty much uh, we're making very slow progress
3: well
2: it is progress though and I think you know again if if um Others had the opportunity to witness what, what I have and others have around just how hard uh, working our vaccination teams are everywhere, uh, and are very anxious to um, vaccinate as many people as possible as quickly as possible. Uh, and I think I'm, you know, I'm very optimistic that uh, with the expertise we have in these teams, that's going to happen. So that's a, you know, that's one of those things we need to hold in front of us uh, as we, uh, you know, as we as we continue to work through this as a as a real goal
0: uh pressures are now moving to the provinces to get this um mac- mass amount of vaccine uh, distributed as quickly as possible i think when this all started people thought that there would be a slow trickle at the beginning and then it would slowly build up and it would be a lot more of a consistent supply chain than than what it is obviously Uh, uh, bin and such, but uh, as we slowly move forward and as we slowly see uh, things start to open up, um, what advice do you have for Canadians? When can we get out? Will we have to see these sorts of of, of large sites?
2: Um, I, you know, I think those, what we really learned, you know, particularly recently, Scott, is, is how important local public health units are. Um, to the decision making in those areas, just you mentioned what happened with Sudbury today, and uh, I think that'll remain. You know, as we work through this, uh, there will be signs and triggers that we'll see that make suggestions as to what direction we can move, either forward or, you know, sort of hold, based on all of the different things that are happening: uh, masking, uh, washing hands, vaccinations, you know, various uh, ways to increase capacity in case there is pressure on the healthcare system. Um, all of those things are guided by good public health advice and direction. And I would, just, I would rec- highly recommend that, uh, that we just keep an eye on that and, and follow their advice.
0: So these uh, field hospitals, uh, one in the planning in Hamilton, one going up in Toronto now, what will trigger those to open up? I mean, obviously it's great that we're that, we're that prepared, but at what point do they get put into action?
2: Yeah, it, it's not sort of a simple discrete thing. Uh, there's, as we build these things out and we've had some experience, um, in the past doing this with, uh, uh Sunnybrook Overseas, the Emergency Medical Assistance Team, which is, you know, a similar group that goes through the province and, uh, supports, um, emergencies, uh, uh, you know, everywhere. Um, and, and one of the things we've certainly learned through that is there isn't really a discrete trigger. Unit. And it's, it's a, it's a group of information essentially, uh, and intelligence that you receive, um, when you look at the system, uh, and I would, I would note that uh, you know these, these uh, MHUs, as they're called, or mobile healthcare care units, uh, rather than field hospital, are really designed to support the system, uh, not designed to support the hospitals where they're deployed. Um, and, and thus, as we, as we continue to put these together and work on the various models and planning, part of that is, you know, what are the system signs and symptoms, I guess, in the system to suggest that we need more capacity, and, and, and how and where do we do that? So it's a, it's a fairly sophisticated process, um, which is great because it's uh, it needs to be uh, based on good evidence to make decisions to use things like these uh, mobile health units.
0: So um, how much, we, we know that these have existed. Burlington, uh, we remember when they built one uh, a while ago. How much are these being used? How much have they been used during the first and second wave? Do we know?
2: I think it's variable. Uh, I, I think in general, um, there has been they've maintained capacity in the uh, in these field units, um, but I think it's been variable and focused on you know what the needs are in those particular communities. But to your point, those are all good examples of how those um, field sites or MHUs, as we call them, um, uh, have you know have really have a system lens on it, uh, whether it's in Barrie or it's in Halton uh, or you know or elsewhere. Um, it really is focused on creating an extra capacity for the system. So as we look at our our system now compared to where it was prior to this, um, we have a lot more awareness around uh, how to deploy these things as part of an overall approach, and, and, you know, really it's just part of our toolkit.
0: Uh, Again, Robert, these are uh, obviously floating questions, but when would we get to a point where we feel comfortable enough that they could be taken down?
2: So it's, it's, the, it's the same thing, and, and in emergency preparedness, when we use these types of uh, structures, while we're planning the integration and utilization of these, we are also in, you know, uh, uh, alongside of that, um, working on our demobilization plans and what it would look like to, you know, when, when these would have to, have to come down or be directed to come down. Um, and again, that would be based on the same review of the evidence and the information to suggest that they're no longer necessary Um, and you know there are and our processes through response and recovery are stable
0: Robert uh, Burgess has been with us Senior Director of the Emergency Preparedness with Sunnybrook Health Sciences Center talking about the planning that is still and continually going on uh, in order to keep us safe as we, uh, we continue through the first year of this global pandemic Robert thanks for the time and insight much appreciated be well You too, Scott. Thank you. A year ago,
4: Canadians were asked to stay home and stay safe. And yet, even apart, or perhaps because we were apart, our communities became stronger and stronger. Businesses stepped up to produce PPE when we needed it most. Some went from making hockey masks to face shields. It doesn't get more Canadian than that. Students and teachers learned how to do school online, and kids did the dishes while they were doing their homework. Young people across the country stepped up to help their neighbors, to serve their communities.
0: Yeah, sitting between 40th and 50th, it doesn't get any more Canadian than that, as far as vaccinations in the world. Uh, this it was a year ago today, I did the my last show in the studios of uh chml tomorrow will be the first day uh of this it uh, was the first day of the scott thompson home show uh a year ago and uh it's you know i didn't want to do a lot of reflective stuff because it's not like it's an anniversary it's not like it's uh, you know I, I totally get the uh the national day of observance and 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 taking note of those who who we have lost during this tragedy and and, and global pandemic um but other than that it, it's you know it's it's hardly new year's eve it's uh oh yeah a year of that um you know it's it's like it's like oh it's the year anniversary that i was first diagnosed with an illness i mean my goodness uh that being said it it certainly is worth putting it all into perspective and if anything looking how far we have come and what we have accomplished in a very short period of time especially when it comes to the development of vaccine and and all the world scientists working together so there really is something to say about uh about how come how far we have come and certainly deserve a pat on the back for that uh Let's bring Dr. Carrie Bowman, bioethicist with the University of Toronto and with us now. Doctor, thank you for the time. I hope you're doing well.
5: I'm very well. Thank you.
0: Uh, First of all, doctor, let's start off with your thoughts one year in where we are now and this date we are marking today.
5: Yeah, you know, I kind of agree with your comments. This isn't really something to be celebrating. I guess it's something we should all be acknowledging. But, you know, it's not over. And, you know, there's a good chance that we're coming to the beginning of the end if the variants don't overtake us. So there is cause for quite a bit of optimism. But you're also right. You know, unless we get these really mass vaccination clinics that are running almost nonstop, uh, we're not going to be able to really catch up quickly on this. And let's hope that's coming.
0: So uh, your thoughts on how do we come out the other end of this? Uh, In in a sense, you will see other countries. It it seems like they will solve this problem because as more and more are quickly vaccinated, there's less and less need for a vaccine passport. However, it will take a while for the world uh, to become fully vaccinated. So uh, how do you deal with this moving forward? What will the next year look like?
5: Well, you know, there's kind of two things that that they have a relationship, but they're not identical. There's what's going to go on within Canada and what's going to go on outside the world. So so when we look at the outer world, uh, if we introduce vaccine passports, look, this could be in weeks or a month or something. I'm speaking now about international travel, and that would probably include crossing the Canada-U.S. border. There's going to be all kinds of inequality with that, because all indications are that Western countries... Uh, wealthy Western countries are going to reach herd immunity way beyond most of the world. We then have a situation where only wealthy, privileged people have the option to travel and the rest of the world is held back. And, you know, in Canada, we've been so caught up with our own vaccine misery that we really have had very few conversations about the bigger picture. And we've got to focus on that. It's ethics. But it's also epidemiology. If, if things don't get better in the rest of the world, they're not going to get better everywhere. So, so there's that. That's a really tough one. Um, the other thing is the science isn't really there yet. We're kind of going on the assumption with vaccine passports that if you're in a restaurant or an airplane and everyone around you is vaccinated, there's no problem. We don't know that yet. We, we think that, we hope that, but there's no evidence yet. So we need to be sure of that. And, you know, Canada, my, my read on this is that our governments, plural, meaning federal, provincial, territorial, are not interested in vaccine passports. And I get that. You know, once you have, you know, you can do this, but you can't do that. It's very problematic in a democratic society. But what I think may well happen is that private forces take over restaurants sporting events pubs whatever it may be public events of any kind say yeah you want to come in we're going to need to see vaccination so it may creep in there and please remember as i think we all know not everyone can be vaccinated it's not you know there's people that for medical reasons can't and we still everybody's children like nobody's children are vaccinated because we're not even there yet we don't even have the research on that
0: You brought up earlier, uh, even though people are vaccinated, we still don't have all of the data on whether they are spreading or still carrying. Any idea when that information will be available in this ongoing trial, per se?
5: You know, I ask that question of epidemiologists all the time, and they always dodge me on it, which makes me think they're not sure. I don't know. Uh, Look, it looks like you're probably significantly less infection, but looks like and guessing that's not science, right? But it's not stopping countries like Israel, uh, you know, with their green, I'm forgetting what it's called, green pass or green book or something uh, from moving forward. So probably the chances are down. But if the evidence does begin to be clear, we'll see. And look, if you're running a little restaurant in any part of this country and you're on the verge of bankruptcy and you can—and you think, you know, if, if I and May can make sure my staff are vaccinated and everyone coming in is vaccinated, I, I can start turning a profit. You can hardly blame people for wanting to do that, you know? Um, So I think it's coming. And there's also an
0: element... No, no, go ahead. Sorry, go ahead.
5: You know, there's also an element of surveillance with this, right? We're talking about electronic. So let's imagine in, I don't know, the early summer of 21, which is coming, uh, you go out for dinner, drinks, coffee. You know, you've got an electronic trail of where you've been. Now, some people would say, who cares? But, you know, we have a right to privacy. Uh, We have a right to confidentiality. So, you know, you're you're going to be kind of monitored as well on top of that. Even if the data isn't used in any nasty way, data gets hacked all the time.
0: Uh, And also, if we do move towards the passport route, what about forgery? I mean, these will be quite valuable. Oh,
5: absolutely. Absolutely. And forgery, you know, and it's going to be an arms race forgery. You know, countries like Israel are coming down really heavy on forgery, but whether they come down or not, Who knows? You know, it's also a little bit of coercion because, look, we can roll our eyes all we want for the Canadians who say, I don't even want a vaccine. I'm not comfortable with them. I don't want to do it. But look, they have a right to make that decision. And, you know, it's going to pressure people that really don't want a vaccine to say, yeah, I don't want a vaccine. But, man, I want to go see, you know, I don't know what the Blue Jays. I want to go for a beer. Like so. So they may feel they're forced into this. So there's really a lot of stuff going on here
0: uh your thoughts uh, new york state uh this morning it was announced they are pressuring uh president biden to have the new york state uh border open up in canada or uh, open up the u.s canadian border by july 4th your thoughts
5: yeah no, that doesn't surprise me at all and you know and you know my guess and look i'm guessing when i say this i don't know this um My guess is the U.S. may be the first to say, you know, welcome Canadians, but we need to we need proof of vaccination. Um, And here's the thing. So you got three kids under 16. What are you supposed to do? Because they're not going to be vaccinated. Like, how's that going to work? So, um, you know, I guess you leave them behind. But, uh, you know, it's not going to be easy. Um, And, you know, do we have six months or a year to think this through? We don't. It's pretty well on top of us now.
0: And it's interesting, uh, July 4th, they're talking about opening up uh, the U.S. border. New York State wants to do that. However, uh, obviously, the United States will be in great shape there as far as vaccination. They hope to have uh, their adult population vaccinated before then. Uh, But again, Canadians may not be. So could it be that the U.S. is closing the border to Canada and saying, you know, until you guys are vaccinated, uh, this isn't going to happen?
5: Absolutely, absolutely. And that actually could push
0: vaccine passports,
5: in which the U.S. is reaching herd immunity so much earlier than we are, uh, that they just, you know, make a statement that, look, the only Canadians we're willing to take are vaccinated Canadians, and you're going to have to show proof, when in fact, maybe, 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 if we all reached herd immunity at the same time, that would not happen. But, you know, I'm speculating on that. But we'll see
0: Can you see this – like, if they're talking about July 4th, can you see this being a motivator for the U.S. to send – vaccine to canada because once the vaccine or once the u.s has been vaccinated they've been very open that they'll start shipping it out and you have to think canada is one of the first recipients of that vaccine so if they're talking about having uh, uh americans vaccine uh, vaccinated by the summer will we not all of a see uh, all of a sudden see a uh, you know a mass uh shipment of vaccination coming in from america america essentially saving us just to get the borders open
5: It could be. It could be. You know, the Americans, uh, you know, they have uh, no ill will against us. We're, we're, uh, you know, easygoing neighbors, but we are not high on their priority list in any way, shape or form. Uh, No matter how much we we think we sometimes are, we're really not. So I don't even think they're thinking about things like, you know, whether, you know, their highest priority. I do hope, though, that if they reach herd immunity and things are looking good, And look, herd immunity, I'm I'm making it sound like it's Sunday announced we've got herd immunity. It's not going to be that simple, and it's going to take a long time to figure out all the data. But, you know, they may really lend a helping hand. But you can hardly blame them right now. Or It's my opinion that you can hardly blame them right now. Their priority is their own citizens, just as Canada, our priority is our own citizens as well. For now, for now.
0: And what percentage of Canadians need to be vaccinated in order for herd immunity?
5: well, there's the question, isn't it? And ask six people and you might get six answers. Um, exactly. I'm not an epidemiologist, but I've heard everything from 65 to 85. We don't know, but I think my, what I'm hearing from, you know, very highly qualified epidemiologists is that with the new variant, it might be higher. So looking at maybe 80% plus, um, but look, the, 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 the latest polls are showing, and it's really shifted. Most Canadians absolutely want to be vaccinated as soon as possible. So we may reach that.
0: Dr. Kerry Bowman has been with his bioethicist with the University of Toronto, talking about what happens after COVID-19 and vaccinations and passports and such. Kerry, thanks so much for the time and insight. Much appreciated. Be well.
5: You too. Best wishes. Take care.
0: All right, let's go. Uh, let's go right to uh, Sam Fizzelli, uh analyst at Bloomberg Intelligence. Uh, this all started in the U- uh, UK. They were, uh, of course, at the point now where uh, they're wondering how are they uh, people are going to travel between countries in the EU and what significance a vaccine passport will have. Sam, thanks for the time. I hope you're doing well.
4: Hey, no problem.
0: Happy to help you. Uh, I understand that uh, this has obviously come up now. Is this something that is uh, needed in order for life to get back to normal? And how do politicians feel about this?
4: Yeah, sure. If you're referring to uh, vaccines for variants, is
0: that right? No, I was referring to uh, passports, uh, talking uh, Ah, about the the passports they're talking. No, that's okay. In the U.K. and, and how passports could help them move on.
4: I mean at the end of the day, you know, there's this is not the first time that people have needed vaccination certificates to get from some countries into others. Um, you know, back in back in the 70s, I think there were the norm um if you wanted to be traveling uh, especially out of the Middle East or Africa or other countries. So this is not the first time that this has uh, happened. And at the end of the day, you have to figure out, well, uh, you know, if this is what you need, uh, at least a piece of paper that says you've had your vaccine then w- what's the problem with that the issue ends up being <clears throat> what how do we you know what, what is the if you've had a single dose of the Johnson and Johnson vaccine versus two doses of the Pfizer Biontech vaccine are you equally protected are you equally uh, not a risk for transmitting disease those are aspects that really you uh, still need quite a lot of work so What does that passport give you? How good a passport is it? Uh, Those are questions that that I still think have to be figured out.
0: So, in other words, we probably don't even have the data to uh, possibly know how accurate these passports will be. But that being said, will, will we not need something to travel to and fro?
4: Yeah. So I would say that it would be part of the solution. So you get your piece of paper that says you've had your vaccine, you do your 72 hours before traveling your test, either a PCR or an antigen test or whichever one your destination requires, and possibly have another test when you arrive. There's nothing wrong with that. Those are good ways of managing the risk of people who've been vaccinated still being carriers of the virus, although we all hope that that would be significantly reduced, but we just don't know how that will pan out over the three months after, six months later, nine months after you've had your doses of vaccine.
0: Are you worried without one common system that there could be forgeries, there could be fakes? Because these could be quite valuable.
4: Oh, sure. Absolutely. And and at the end of the day, you know, how do you, you know, I mean, look at the travel passports that you have these days, how, how many security aspects they have and Biometrics, etc So that's going to be a tough thing to, to follow. I think Israel is currently trialing this system, and so that would be interesting to see. And The other way you could do it also is to have a system internally, within a country where data protection is less of an issue than if you had to go from country to country, where you've got a system where your phone has a barcode on either the government has sent you or something like that, that you scan to access venues, etc. But still, for traveling, you have to have your test done, and when you arrive at a destination, you have to have another test done and maybe a few days of quarantine. That's another way that, it, that, that a passport can work. It's useful to gain access to places, but not necessarily to travel. I'd be just have uh, to, he- to start thinking this through.
0: Uh, here in Canada, we had uh, COVID-19 apps that uh, people could download on their phones, and they would alert you if you had come in the general area of someone who had tested positive. Obviously, those that have tested positive will have to feed into that. Uh, long story short, not a lot of uptake on this for security reasons, or as you mentioned, uh, just too intrusive. How will they? How will we balance this when it comes to a vaccine passport? Or do you think that the stakes are just so high here? This is going to be like a get out of jail free. Card that people won't care about privacy or, or
4: right, or right. So I, I just think that I think different societies will react differently. But it, but you know it, whether it's government mandated or not, I don't know. But if, what if your gym said, "I'm sorry, you can come back to this gym, but you need to have a piece of paper that says you had your vaccine." What if your a U2 concert or or whoever you wanted to go to venue said, "I'm afraid we only accept people who've had a vaccine." And a a, a test beforehand, at least in the next few months, as we try and understand how well these vaccines are actually working in preventing um, continued transmission. So I I think it's still doable that private companies even uh, require it. So that's, that's another way of thinking about it. It doesn't have to be a government mandate
0: that that's a very interesting point sam because that might be a good way for government to avoid this just let private industry handle it and you know they'll they'll decide what they need for precautions coming into their establishments and such and there in turn will will predict the policy
4: that's right but it, but it still doesn't take away from the fact that you have to have a system that yeah. that is reliable and 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 hopefully not open to forgery and and, and copying because if my airline says yeah sure you can come on your fl- flight to go from London to Montreal, but I need your, um, but I need to scan your vaccination pass. But I need that, so you know. But, so you're back to square one. You still have to have a, a way of proving foolproof proving that you've been vaccinated.
0: Um, by the time, by the time this is all developed, Sam, will because it, it sounds like it's going to take quite a while to work all the bugs out of something like this. By the time it is developed, is there going to be a need for it? Will we all be vaccinated by then?
4: Uh well yeah but you remember that that you know I I'm 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 really excited by all this wonderful real world data that we're getting for instance from Pfizer out of Israel today but I'm not skeptical but I want to exercise caution over interpreting a 94% reduction in the risk of even asymptomatic disease these a lot of these reads that we're getting are coming just a few weeks after you've had your full vaccination, so you should be Absolutely brimming with an immune response that's, uh, that's super high. So, by the time we have to worry about this and those vaccines have come into the most people's arms, we would have a reasonably clear um, picture as to what happened to the cohort of people that were vaccinated in January, how did their immune response evolve, were they still reasonably well protected against an infection, let alone disease um six months later nine months later so perhaps it's not a bad thing that it would take that sort of time to figure this out so that we can understand actually how valuable these how effective these vaccines are versus different aspects of the disease and the infection
0: sam Fazelli has been with us analyst at bloomberg intelligence getting an eu perspective and the possibility of vaccine passports as we move forward with covid19 sam thank you for the time and insight much appreciated be well Thank you. You're listening to The Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML.
1: Last year at this time would be the last week we'd hug a friend, shake hands and, well, just do a lot of things that have been off the table since the pandemic took hold. We were in the final days of pre-lockdown life and many of us didn't know it. March 17th, 2020, a day known for toasting green-dyed beer with pals at the bar in celebration of St. Paddy's Day – but we know there would be none of that. It was on the 17th when Premier Doug Ford declared a state of emergency in the province and we went into lockdown. Then, just a day after, the Prime Minister shut down our border with the U.S., opening it only to essential travel. Sarnia Mayor Mike Bradley joined Global News Radio to talk about what he hopes won't happen when the border eventually does reopen.
4: We don't want a mass Oklahoma a land rush. We want a sort of a sectorial, perhaps people that have relatives in Canada or people that own property in Canada, and to do it in an orderly manner so we're not overwhelmed with the resources that we need at the bridges and uh, the border crossings uh, to protect us.
1: Bradley also says he meets regularly with other border city mayors and they're all in agreement that it cannot open right now. So for now, we wait for the borders to reopen and for our worlds to slowly start regaining some sense of normalcy once again as vaccination efforts and social distancing continues to do its work. Diana Week. 900 CHML News.
0: Uh, another reminder uh, how much farther we in Canada still have to go uh, where you know to the point where we are like our friends to the south or even those in the UK who are starting to open up and uh, get up and out and about and such uh, and as this continues uh, and, and it, you know obviously down we've heard in the United States that uh, uh, president biden has announced that uh, he wants to get everybody able to, who wants one uh, vaccinated by the end of may now we hear uh, from uh, uh, from uh, brian higgins of uh, new york uh they are lobbying to get a partial reopening of the northern border by memorial day and a full reopening uh by july 4th to talk more about all of this jim chrisula is with us reporter for cbs news radio and he is with us now jim thanks for the time i hope you're doing well
3: Yeah, scott uh, hope you as well
0: how much chatter is there down there about reopening the border
3: well certainly uh along the border a lot perhaps not so much maybe in the middle of the country or down along the Mexican border, but certainly places in upstate New York, as you mentioned, uh congressman from upstate New York, Brian Higgins, asking the president, Joe Biden, to work with the Canadian prime minister, Justin Trudeau, to, as you mentioned, Scott, try to get some reopening, a partial reopening, at least by Memorial Day, the end of May here in the States, and then a full reopening by the 4th of July here in the States.
0: Uh, are you concerned are americans concerned that canadians are not near as farly nearly as far along as what the united states was um you know there was a, a point here when canadians were concerned about americans coming in because of the state of america at the point but it seems that's all changed uh america is 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 uh, vaccinating at a lightning speed and will and will have people vaccinated by by the end of may whereas we're looking more towards uh fall or the summer. Uh, are, are Americans concerned Concerned that that Canadians may not be vaccinated if that border is reopened?
3: Sure, sure, there's that issue. I I think, Scott, quite honestly, the biggest collective concern or thought process here in the States, obviously, people wanting to get a vaccine, and wanting to get a shot and how quickly they can do that. I I think certainly uh, only about 10, and I say only, but still um, only about 10 percent of America's population has been vaccinated. There was a there's a new survey out today, Scott. Interestingly, I think one in three people say they don't plan to get vaccinated here in the states. So, but again, I, I think that's certainly the biggest issue here. The economy, yes, in trying to get things reopened, trying to get kids back into school full time, in person learning. But I, I think all of that aside. The, the biggest thought in the process for most people, the biggest concern is, is when can I get a shot?
0: Uh, you said 10 uh, percent, uh, I believe, have been fully vaccinated. I'm hearing up to 25 percent for one shot. Yes. H- what is the policy in the U.S. for the second dose? Here in Canada, we're delaying the second dose due to lack of supply.
3: The biggest question or the biggest issue here is uh, obviously supply, supply and demand demand outstripping supply, obviously, at this point, although President Biden says that uh, they're going to order more vaccine from Johnson & Johnson. One of the advantages to that uh, particular vaccine, it requires only one shot. But uh, again, there, there had been some talk here in the state, Scott, a couple, three weeks ago, in terms of getting at least an initial shot into people's arms, as many as possible, mm-hmm. that they might take some of the vaccine, set aside for folks who were awaiting their second vaccine their second shot and use that for initial shots for people but but that's something they don't consider they need need to do at this point
0: uh and are you confident that americans will be vaccinated those who want it by the end of may
3: it's difficult to say i mean that's certainly you know a very challenging uh, deadline for the for them to go after remember joe biden when he took office that he wanted 100 million people vaccinated within the first 100 days of his administration. They are on track to accomplish that. It would be amazing if they they did. But again, we're seeing more and more mass vaccination sites opening across the United States and closed down shopping malls and uh, certainly sports stadiums. Uh, So again, places that, that can handle large numbers of, of, of people in large crowds a lot of traffic a lot of long lines so the, the more they can open up these additional mass vaccination sites the better for everyone
0: jim chrisula with us reporter for cbs news radio talking about uh what is happening in the united states where they are with covid19 vaccination and the possibility of opening the canadian u.s border jim thanks for the time as always much appreciated be well
3: Yeah, you as well, Scott. Good to talk to you. Take care, stay well, and stay sane. That may be the hardest of all.
0: I hear you. Back at you on that. All right, uh, let's bring in Dr. Timothy Sly, epidemiologist and professor emeritus in the School of Population and Public Health, Ryerson University, and is with us now. Timothy, thank you for the time. I hope you're doing well.
6: Thank you, Scott. I certainly am.
0: Timothy, how are you feeling as we mark this day uh, with the National Day of Observance?
6: Well, from the epidemiology point of view, I mean, we've been teaching students about epidem- uh, pandemics generally, and we've had to go back to 1918, uh, you know, to illustrate how bad it could be. And uh, my goodness, here we're, we're living it out. Uh, there's a lot of despair and a lot of uh, loss we've seen, both uh, physical life loss, businesses loss, savings loss. It's a terrible thing. I just hope we've learned something from it and that we've learned more than I think we learned in SARS-1 back then. We didn't seem to have learned a lot from that.
0: You bring up a very valid point because many at the very beginning of this said this is very similar to SARS and, and many, uh, y- you know, asked the question why we did not learn more. Has this set in? What have we learned in the past year?
6: Well, I think we've uh, we've tried to uh, bring up those same things that Justice uh, Archie Campbell wrote in 2006 when he wrote the uh, the post mortem, if you like, of the SARS one. He said at the bottom, he said, "Should Ontario have another health crisis like this last one?" Which is which is. Minuscule compared to the one we've just gone through. He said, let's hope we don't uh, uh, miss these, I think he had seven points there, seven major points. If you go down that list, you'll find that we're making the same things again. I, I sincerely hope, for example, that we don't throw out because they've so-called expired. I, I, what you, how masks expire, I really have no idea. I can't imagine yeah. they do. However, somebody threw them out. We would had a big stockpile left over and didn't replace them. Why? Well, because I think they hadn't seen a pandemic for a few years. You know, in, in, the, in environmental management, we have a thing called NIMBY, and not in my backyard. In this kind of management, we have a thing called uh, NIMTOF. It's called not in my term of office. So, in other words, the myopia, you know, the short-sightedness uh, frequently in politicians, because they haven't seen a pandemic, they'll uh, figure there isn't one on the horizon. Well, there certainly was one, and we, it caught us with the pants down again. Uh, however, I think uh, we've all learned tremendously. The virology has been outstanding. The vaccinology has been incredible. Who would have thought that something could normally take f- uh, four to ten years could be put together in a matter of months and not just one we've got i think 22 vaccines at various stages of uh, in human trials and we've certainly got in canada i think about four or five have been approved
0: Talk about, uh, Timothy, where we are now. Uh, obviously, coming up towards the, the middle of March, we're starting to see more and more vaccine. Uh, we're starting to see the provinces open up uh, distribution and such a bit more. We're still not at the point of mass vaccination sites, but we certainly are uh, making progress. And those sites, they say, are coming uh, in the next few weeks and such. Where are we in this race between the variants and the vaccine?
6: You know, just the other night, Scott, I was going through some of the uh, the commentary from the uh, 1918, and they had gone to the first wave, which was really terrible, and they, the second wave really hit them uh, a tremendous death. I remember they didn't have means of testing they didn't have any vaccines. vaccine wouldn't appear for for decades uh, back then in fact a virus nobody even found a virus it was a theoretical concept of something smaller than a bacterium that kept going through their filters so they were really in the dark however they, they managed to survive the second wave and they thought good we're out of the woods now we're free and clear we can get back to normal and then the third wave hit, and I think it was more, it wasn't as bad as the second wave, but it was psychologically brutal, because they thought they were free and clear, and then suddenly people began to die again, and there was nothing they could do about it. Uh, we are almost at that position, Scotty. In fact, it's almost like the plot of a dystopian m- movie at the moment. If you look ahead of you on the horizon, the vaccine cavalry arriving, they're, they're far too late, They lost their compass, they're arriving jibs and drabs, but at least they are arriving and they're coming into the city. Behind you on the horizon, you've got the mutants. And they're a motley motley crowd, all kinds of uh, nastiness going on there, and they're percolating into our population as well. So it's almost like the third act of a three-act drama. You know, this is where the the big battle occurs. We don't know what the outcome will be. It'll be settled in this next two or three months. And I think we, it's too early to tell. The, the, where the where the, the variants do come in, they take over. And I think in Canada, in some parts, we're up to about uh, 30 or 40 percent of uh, the isolations now are the new variants, and that's really something to be alarmed about. In no time at all, they've they've taken over and they are becoming give it another month or so, they will become the dominant uh, uh, strain of the virus. So whether whether vaccines will be as successful as they will be or the variants will be as successful in coming in, we just don't know it's too soon to say.
0: Uh, It's interesting. uh, Way back when we were talking about the first wave and then the second wave, and And now we've talked more of vaccination. There hasn't been as much chatter. Uh, there's, it certainly is there of the third wave, but 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 optimism from the vaccine has seemed to overshadowed that. Um, uh, and now, I just saw a headline on on a news uh, feed that I'm watching. They're not calling this the third wave. They say a second pandemic because of the virus. A variance, rather. Uh, your thoughts on that?
6: Is it a yeah, second, yeah, pan- is it a second it, it, pandemic or a You've got you get like a, different, uh, a different strain of pathogen with some different characteristics in there. And we almost look at it as a, a, a new epidemic within the pandemic, if you like, mm. because it, it acts in a different way. We did some number crunching on this the other day. And the, we said, look, at if we compare a variant that comes along that's, that is able to transmit 50% a, a, a more effectively and compare that with a variant that comes along that's fifty percent more lethal after a month there 'll actually be more, four times more deaths with the one that transmits more rapidly than the one that actually is more is more dangerous to you mm-hmm. uh, so it 's simply because it 's a you know an exponential function it 's like calculating your mortgage it 's how many uh, years you put on there it 's how many how much uh, real real uh, you know debt you get into. So that's the problem with this one. Uh, It's taken over. In Britain, it took over. It's 70, 80, 80 percent of the isolations, about 89 percent in one case of the isolations made were the new variants toward the end. I mean, they've really stepped up their vaccination program. We are so sadly behind almost everybody else in the rest of the world in terms of the proportion of people who are currently vaccinated. This is why the proposal makes such a lot of sense to say, look, uh, we achieve a very good Good protection with one shot. Let's give as many people as as earthly possible that one shot, and let the booster shot, the second one, catch up when it can, because that makes far more sense.
0: Uh, Where are we going to see any real progress here until we start seeing mass vaccination sites like we've seen in the U.S., whether it's in stadiums or? or uh, convention centers or such. You know, obviously we're seeing more and more Canadians being vaccinated, but it's very slow at certain age groups. Uh, are we really going to make a dent uh, at that, at this point, or, or is it going to take those mass vaccination sites before we finally hammer this?
6: Oh, it'll. Be, from an individual's point of view, if you've been vaccinated, uh, and, of course, you've got to wait for... A, about two, perhaps even three weeks before you get fully protected from that one shot that you get. And I was looking last night at a CBC uh, uh, documentary. documentary, They're saying, you know, the moment the needle comes out the arm, you see people leaping around and hugging people and tearing off the mask. and And that's not... That's not advisable. You won't be protected at all for a couple of weeks. So you, and even then, we've got to stop thinking about the vaccine as something like MMR and polio, which is really lifetime immunity. Think of it more like an influenza vaccine. You know, it may give you some protection for a, a year or two, but you certainly need that to be reboosted every year. And that's what this one's going to be like. The, the, the COVID 19 will become more of an endemic uh, and boost it up every year with something perhaps added to your uh, flu shot. There'll be a corona shot in there as well. But to, to, to be able to see uh, from a population size effect, We won't see that until herd immunity fits. And just to give you an idea, assuming new new variants are in place, we're going to need at least in the low 70s, at least a percent of the population, before we begin to see the end of the pandemic. Low 70 percent of the population immune, either through having survived the the illness or through having been vaccinated. And at the moment, we're sitting roughly about 10 to 11 percent. From those two sources, in other words, having survived the infection, having been vaccinated, about 10, 11 percent. So we've got a long way to go before we get up to 70 percent. So bring on the vaccines as fast as we can.
0: Uh, that uh, sort of answers my next question. We're seeing the Center of Disease Control in the United States now this past week uh, uh, present guidelines to follow if you have been fully vaccinated, and by that I mean with, with both shots, uh, that if there are uh, two people that have been fully vaccinated from two separate families, they can now get together. They talked about guidelines with grandparents uh, and such. But uh, you're saying, and, and, you know, obviously they're not at 70% yet but they're they're certainly moving very very rapidly towards that when can you see canada issuing
6: the same sort of guidelines how far are how far away are we from that i think what we need to do is to recognize i think what we were talking about a few months ago is that there's going to uh, there's going to be this tremendous urge to to cast off the mask and to start hugging and kissing people and anything that that we can do to to bring in some more caution and say look it's this too soon to do this because you're not going to be completely protected no vaccine will be hundred percent certainly not these ones so we need to protect the people particularly if they're still vulnerable uh, keep that caution going. We know you want to get back and hug people, but this is the kind of combination that you need to bring in. It's a, it's a bit of a gamble all the way through. It, it's sort of trying to minimize the risk, uh, acknowledging people that want to get back to life as normal but somehow bring in some caution. So that needs to be worked out. I mean, In fact, even in the states are going to have to look to see whether any of these uh, bits of advice, uh, if they're followed, if it still leads to additional infection. Remember now, just in this, this last week we've seen Sunnybrook Hospital here in in toronto actually starting to build uh what is really almost like a military field hospital in one of their big parking lots because they're so afraid that the third wave will be on upon us before we can get people vaccinated i mean that's a that's a caution right there that uh, that we shouldn't ignore
0: yeah, we we spoke of that uh, the last couple of days because people are becoming more and more optimistic. Yet behind the scenes, these hospitals are being built, uh, mobile health units, and you're thinking, "Well, my goodness, what is that saying that we're not uh, we're not seeing here?" Um, let's uh, talk about uh, being vaccinated, and and when will we know? because um, there's been some discussion about if you've been vaccinated, fully vaccinated, whether you can still carry the virus or still possibly spread it, even though you don't become infected by it. Any idea when we will know if those that have been vaccinated can be
6: spreaders, even though they're vaccinated? Well, that kind of data being gathered all the time. Remember that those trials that we spoke about, those phase three trials back then before the vaccines were approved, uh... the uh... the the caveat at the end of that was that Even though it's approved by the various countries of vaccination committees, we still need to gather the data constantly. In other words, it it starts off with a phase three trial with, you know, 40,000 people in it. But that's not where the story ends. It's just the beginning. And so all the countries have been feeding back the, the kinds of results that they've been looking at since that time. And so now the pool of data is getting much larger, and we're beginning to see that kind of stuff. If you look in New England Journal of Medicine, you'll see those papers being published now as to... As to the answers to that kind of question, what proportion of people who have been vaccinated are now subject to reinfection? If they are reinfected, is it it one of the new variants? And which variants are are, are appearing again in somebody who either was infected the first time or who was vaccinated for for the first time? The one good thing is that the mRNA vaccines, the two large ones, Moderna and Pfizer, they can be reasonably easily tweaked. To adjust to uh, a new variant that comes along, the uh, viral vectors, uh, the other ones, the the AstraZeneca and the Johnson Johnson, they're a little bit more difficult to to adjust those. So already, uh, we've seen some of the virus, some of the vaccine manufacturers are already beginning to change their product product to include a better protection against the variants as they come along. It's a constant sort of a day by day battle between the powers of vaccine versus the powers of uh, variance, you know, as I said, that uh, that third act in the three-play drama. Uh, so uh, keep your ear to the g- grindstone. yeah, uh, to the grindstone. My goodness, ear to the ground, I should say. And uh, I think we're going to be hearing more about that as time goes on. But we we won't. This is still the the, the story. Will carry on probably for several years before we really understand. Look at these long term, these, these long haulers yeah. of COVID. They are beginning to come to the surface. Even SARS one. Back in two thousand and three, it was several years later when we began to see people who'd recovered from that begin to have symptoms again in their in their muscles and joints and uh, nervous systems that's so that 's a worry right there
0: uh, we've talked about the third wave and and many have said that if a third wave does strike, it will be worse than the second as the second was worse than the first, considering where we are now, Timothy. Uh, with long-term care all being vaccinated report last week how death rates in in long-term care and infection rates have dropped way 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 down uh, with this vaccination so what are you expecting from a third wave if it does happen uh, with these vaccinations certainly of the most vulnerable uh, as far as long-term care
6: okay. I should tell you, I can hardly hear you. You're, you're way down the end of a tunnel somewhere. I don't know. Anyway, I, I, I think I've got your question there. Uh, there's a, there's, it, 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 uh, the, the first wave and the second wave really hit uh, old, old folks uh, really hard, as you know, in Canada, long-term care people. And so that kind of death rate... Uh, we probably won't see as much now. It'll probably be hitting the middle ages people. And, of course, we begin to see some people in their 30s and even the odd 20-year-olds, but it's mainly going to be the 40s and 50s and 60s and so on. So it may not be quite as many people, I don't think. Look at the 1918. The third wave was much less, but the uh, psychological effect was high. Uh, it's really just how far it can go and how how loose we've we've let the guard down. At the same time, for example, I think we should be saying if we're going to begin to see people at barbecues as the weather gets finer again, we should you know we can go back on the TTC or the the, the transit systems and uh, even go back to the office uh, people looking at those plannings. That's the time we should increase the personal protection, not decrease it, increase mm. it. You know, make sure the mask you're wearing is not something that it's, it's your granny knitted and you can see the skin right through the mask. You know. <laughs> not something you can blow a candle out through the mask. Double masking is not a bad idea at this time. Even now, double masking makes a lot of sense different kind of materials. Uh, make sure you stay that distance away. This is not our time to relax that kind of thing if we do want to get back and talk to people. So it's, a, it's a, like a double-edged thing here, you know, optimism, but very extreme caution as well.
0: Dr. Timothy Sly has been with us, epidemiologist, professor emeritus in the School of Population and Public Health at Ryerson University. Doctor, thank you so much for the time and insight. Much appreciated. Be well. Always my pleasure, Scott. Stay safe. Bye-bye. All right. Enough of the guests. Now it's time for my opinion. Here's the commentary. It seems every day we hear from Prime Minister Justin Trudeau pontificating that even more COVID-19 vaccines are on the way and will soon be in your arms. But when? And the solution is to ration the second dose while we wait? The provinces are constantly being critiqued and threatened that they had better be ready for a mass influx of product because there certainly is no consistency when it comes to the federal government's delivery of vaccine due to its lack of licensing and production agreements. And now it is up to the provinces to deliver on months and months worth of mass vaccination in a very short period of time because the federal government screwed up and has us hovering around 40th in the world for vaccination of its citizens? Toronto is constructing a field hospital for a potential third wave and Hamilton has plans for the same. Yes, that is great planning, but also a blunt reminder we are nowhere near reopening yet because we simply do not have enough vaccine for mass vaccination sites like a First Ontario Centre. And until we do, we are peeing in a swimming pool. I'm Scott Thompson the scott thompson show weekdays from noon to three on 900 chml this is the scott thompson podcast available on apple podcast and google podcast or wherever you get yours and don't forget to subscribe rate and review so you don't miss a thing i'm scott thompson and thanks for listening
1: for most of us crime is something we see on the news we never think it could happen to us until it does